0: Are you gonna relax now Or are you gonna like Amp up Let it breathe Dave I'm not gonna say anything
1: Take a deep (sighs) breath folks Find your place of mindfulness
0: We're living in tough times Really We need to to be able to relax, make space, be present with people, face-to-face. That's what we need today, folks. Anyways, it's great to be back on another podcast. Ever since Holesklaw got motivated, we're doing more podcasts. I want to personally, on behalf of America, thank you again for devoting your time (laughs) to technology and (laughs) podcast land. So that we can be together with all these good peeps. What's the subject for today?
1: On behalf of all of America, you're giving me you're 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 thanking my technological abilities. That's pretty generous of you.
0: That was a bit excessive, but quite.
1: Or are we trying to make this podcast great again? Is that what you're trying to say?
0: Oh, my. Oh, my. There you go. All
1: right. Sorry, my first Trump dig. You know, like uh, early days in uh, in our podcast, we would always time oh, how Over there at the Griffith Conference room? Yeah, yeah. Back at, the, at home. Oh, yeah. man, well, I
0: used to love that place.
1: it has been like four episodes or since you've mentioned that. But, you know, back in the old days, back in the Griffith Conference room, we would take, you know, bets on how long it'd be until you've mentioned Harawas. But now it's probably, we should switch that to how long till it'll, uh. A mention of Trump, I guess, but that's probably I don't not, even mention him. It's probably not good or bad. But speaking of Harwas, we have How coming in. I want to be sure all of you who are listening know this. We're having Harwas, Stanley Howwas, former theologian of the year, uh Time. By Time magazine. Um is and he's a theologian ethicist he is coming to northern seminary do you believe that it's actually you are doing dave fitch his connection well oh, yeah. in june early june he's coming for a thursday night and a friday morning lecture public lecture. And shares, what are we going to be talking which about will most likely be free to everyone although there'll be a little cost just to cover lights and everything he's going to be talking about do we need the church yeah i love the title because you know i think or i worry that uh, a
0: lot of the younger generation, by younger, I mean even younger than you, uh, and you are old, Uh, but anyways, even the younger generations are thinking, we can do justice in the world without the church. We can get on the train and do the work of God and justice in the world without the church. Now that, I think, is a legitimate question. And I think a lot of people are kind of saying, I've had it with the church. Uh, The church that doesn't seem to be uh, caring for the poor and being involved in bringing the justice of God into the world. I think that's a legitimate question. Do we need the church? And I think Stanley will give us some powerful conversations as to why it's impossible to do God's mission So that's June without 8th, the church.
1: June 8th and June 9th, it's going to be great. You can actually pre-register right now uh, and get a free gift when you pre-register. And that'll mean that you'll know exactly when registration opens and you'll get the earliest possible price. So... Uh, do that. It's going to be a live streamed webinar also. And so if you pre-register, you also get all those details. So you don't want to miss this. So be sure to pre-register. That's at seminary.edu slash on mission 17. It'll be in our show notes and I'll probably mention it at the end of the podcast. All right. All right. So all right. now I'm so talking about today. I've uh, started polemically and antagonistically by dropping a little Trump joke. something yeah, of the problem. Aren't you kind
0: right? of let into the topic at hand. Uh, I've entitled this On Living in These Antagonistic Times. And uh, what I want to talk about, or what the question I want to ask is, how do we engage? How do we engage in the struggles and the injustices and the victimizations and the oppressions uh, that are going on in our society without making them worse? How do we do it without creating more antagonism? There's a lot of people today, I think, who are coming to the conclusion that all the anger and all the protests and everything that we tried to change people's minds in 2015 and 2016 maybe didn't help at all. They made things worse. They got the other side that they were trying to connect with more angry, more blankety blank, more this, more that. And so what happened is we had a blow up in a more divided country now than we've ever had before. How do we enter the world and not create more antagonism, but yet not stay by silent, stand by silently, and allow the injustice
1: to go on or even get worse? What's your take? Well, I was talking uh, with one of our shepherds. We had a retreat last weekend. Uh, and a bunch of stuff was happening in the news last weekend with the immigration executive orders and things like that. And uh, this gentleman said, and he's just like shaking his head, he's just like, I think it's just going to get worse. People in the pews aren't going to be able to sit next to each other anymore because they have different views on this or that, and the church is just going to keep splitting and getting farther apart. And I was so disheartened because on the one hand, uh, I think he's right. On the other hand, I believe strongly that the church should witness against that, that we should be able to live in peace even uh, among those differences. So, yes, yes this is so. an important topic. Maybe there's a bunch of you out there feeling the same way. The church should be a place to witness to a different way, but you just don't see it, and you have very little hope. Join the club, uh, but maybe there's something we could do about it. Yeah, so I'd like to um,
0: start off the conversation by uh, um, once again uh, quoting myself and uh, a tweet that uh, <laughs> actually I think it was a Facebook post, but it went something like this. And I'd like I'd like to hear what you have to think about this whole stuff. It went like this: There's a thin line. Between stoking the current antagonisms of our time and making steady observations, staying alert to the injustices, a steady, uh, staying vigilant with observations, opening up conversations, keeping in dialogue about the injustices. Can we make spaces to dialogue and work for the future? There's a thin line between antagonisms, stoking them and and going at people and creating more fire, making ourselves maybe feel a little bit better in the process, versus opening up dialogue, asking questions, staying with people, opening up space. From your pastoral experience, can you make that discernment between stoking antagonisms Making observations and provoking opening dialogues.
1: Well two observations about your observation. One is is it's a very thin line indeed. And the problem is is it keeps moving. It can move depending on who you're talking to. And so the line between asking helpful provocative questions and stirring up antagonisms could be you know, here for one conversation, on one topic, and it could be in a drastically different uh, place on the same conversation with a different person or a different topic you're talking, you know, you and I could be talking about one thing and the antagonistic line, the thin lines here, and we switch topics to something else. It could be somewhere. Right. So it's always moving, which is super frustrating. Um, And people view these things uh, in different ways. And so what you think could be a very benign observation ends up feeling like a cutting criticism to someone else. And you know, what are you going to do in that instance? So uh,
0: a very important point there often uh, when you say something or make an observation, and by the way, always this is this is a big thing for me. It comes out of my book, Faithful Presence. Always tend to assume that God is working and His presence is between you and the other people or persons or individual you are engaged with. Cast your eyes off yourself and what's going on with you, and onto the other person, and then say. I have an observation, and then make that observation. Now, if what happens, pastors, I can't tell you how important this is. If what happens is somebody gets stoked, somebody gets really angry, somebody starts hurling, somebody starts throwing up their arms, hang in there. Don't react ten times worse. What's what's the uh, saying of Jesus about? Uh, Turn your cheek. Well, turn your cheek is
1: one, but 70 times turn the other cheek. Someone love, said your just, okay, this, love your enemy. OK, this all this
0: dynamic that Jesus asks us to engage is the overthrowing of anger and pain. A lot of people say, oh, Jesus gets angry all the time. Actually, only twice. And one of them was with children and it was irritation. The other time it was in the temple, the famous throwing, overthrowing the tables. I contend to you, by the way, that wasn't anger. I contend to you that was a staged episode to disrupt the politics Political of the theater. temple, to set up and disrupt, to set up an a, a outworking of what needed to be outworked, and not, sorry, an outworking of what needed to be worked out in the coming passion and cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me Jesus got angry all the time. Actually, John chapter 8 is the best episode, which you've heard me talk about before where all the people are getting the stones and say, can we stone her? She's an adulteress four times. And Jesus writes in the sand and makes space and then asks questions. Who among you is without sin? Cast the first stone and and detoxifies, puts a prick in the bubble of anger and lets the air out and makes space for dialogue. What do you think? You weren't listening, were you? No,
1: I was. I was just trying You've to... You've like, had a long day. You said so much. I was like, I don't know. I, yeah, I agree. I'm you asking
0: like, us to uh, not stoke the antagonist. Yes.
1: So back to the line and the stoke... So so there's two things. One is, what do you do when you inadvertently stoke the antagonism? So we could talk about that. Oh, I said something, and but someone took it a totally different way. and Then you have to work through processes of reconciliation, of humility, mutual submission, so you can get at the root thing, but that's a, that's a commitment to relationship over commitment to being right. Um, you know, this is the, you know, help me to understand more than my desire to be understood. Right, This has to go into these types of things. Um, but there's a whole nother layer to it is what do you do with people and situations whom just want to be antagonistic or divisive, or they're so certain about things. How do you open up that space then in return?
0: Again. Uh, all right. So I get really tired of all the ideologizing because even when you we call are... Do them I certainly don't call them idiots. I call them ideologizers. I get tired of all the ideologizing, meaning meaning I've got to win and I've got to argue for this point of view, Even, even lifting it up more importantly than my relationship with God and Christ and what he wants to do with me and this other person. I get tired of all that because even when we're right, let's say Christians, when we're right, if we enter the ideological battle on the ideology's terms, ideology is the antagonistic fight to make the other person an object and win at all costs. If we enter that ideology on its own terms, we lose. Even if we're right, because we entered in, in the terms of the ideology and the violence therein, we lose. We stoke an antagonism, and it works against God and what He wants to do in the world. Because God does not work in violence; God comes in love, non-coercion, presence to heal the world. This is the way the Spirit works. It's the way who it's who He is. God in Christ in the world through the Spirit, making Himself visible through the church. And so, I guess what I'm really trying to, uh, if I were to condense it into one sentence, is. Whenever you stoke an antagonism, you lose. But if we can be patient, sit in a space, make observations, ask questions, pro- probe, even provoke and hang in when somebody gets angry, I think this is the way God's going to change the world. This is what we need more now in the church and then in the world than we've ever needed before. And then we need to be so firm and... And solid in what we believe in our integrity, that we form a space that says, No, I will not go to war. You wanna you wanna bomb I don't know, Iraq again? Not going to do it. You want to create a situation where we're going to exclude this person and this person because they're Muslim?
1: We're not going to do it. Did I sound antagonistic antagonistic on that? Sound angry, you know, I don't know. So what are some practical skills? So how do you probe rather than um, creating a, a polemic? How do you uh, work with people who maybe they don't want to? They okay, just want first, to keep going. How do you enter into this? First, before we go into that, how much time we got left? We got enough time. I,
0: I just want to say that it's very important to have an understanding of how Christ rules and reigns and how the church is meant to be the fullness, Ephesians chapter 1 says, of the presence of Christ where he is head over the whole world but the church is the fullness of him therein and so we need to live in that fullness and realize this is this is god at work and wherever we go we we must bring the presence of christ wherever his absence is wherever he is withdrawn there's violence god will not work in violence we must bring his presence to every situation. Does that sound
1: like pie in the sky to you? No, it doesn't. I just want us to talk Does it practically. Sound too Let's... ethereal to you? Well, yes. Okay, yes. It's pie in the sky. It's ethereal unless we have examples or practices that we can inhabit to do this. All right. So, so I'll when give you're a... on Facebook or when you're talking with somebody at McDonald's, how do you engage someone or how do you diffuse an antagonistic polemic situation?
0: All right. I'm going to give you five strategies. I want you to comment on each one. All right. One, stand peacefully with the hurting, the immigrant, the black man that's getting arrested unjustly, the woman who's suffering the hands of misogyny.
1: How is that a strategy?
0: Especially in our neighborhoods.
1: How is that a strategy?
0: Stand peacefully with them. So
1: stand, stand
0: peacefully. So I believe the marches of the women, despite some of the ideological issues that were being bandied about on the day after uh, Trump got elected, I believe when we go stand and be, be at peace and be present with the Black Lives Matters marches, not violently, when we draw attention to the injustices systemically in our neighborhoods by being present in these marches, in these town hall meetings, I believe Christ will work in that. I think it's already, I think it's very important in this day and age post trump that we live in that these peaceful nonviolent marches continue on and on and on tonight a few of us from our church are going to go meet with the local mosque we're going to go be present and we're going to say we believe you know that we are here to be with you nonviolently we do not want to exclude you we want to make space for you you are welcome in our lives and welcome in this neighborhood and that space that's opened up i believe god will work in for the salvation of the world and the salvation of my muslim brothers and sisters be present peacefully with the hurting okay
1: the so i fully support that so i don't in a sense have Is to that, have that a good comment. strategy uh sure because it's presence it's local it's relationships but what do you do then with someone who hears that you're doing that And they just think that you've sold yourself out to a pro-liberal progressive agenda, and you're probably not even Christians anymore.
0: Okay, so what I would do is when dealing with people with going off on excessive moral platitudes. What do you
1: uh, do when I say, Black Lives Matter is a fraud, they're inciting more racist violence, and you are just participating in a broken system and enabling a bunch of people?
0: I tell, here's my second strategy. I don't actually
1: believe that, but that's the conversation.
0: Here's my second strategy. Are you ready? Or are you going to interrupt again? Probably. My second strategy is tell a real story and then ask, what would you have me do? Okay. Tell a real story. Of course, that means you yes. have to know and be with real people. Like if and you're, we do
1: this a lot as pastors. We did this a lot. Uh, when people complain about the church, you just say, well, all right, well, what do you want to do you tell us what to do we'll just do it and so i think that's a way no we
0: don't say that i submit to you what would you do okay, if i right. were
1: be... but that is a way of um reducing antagonism by handing power over to someone else but
0: it's also by a way of question. detoxifying and deconceptualizing and de-ideologizing the concept black lives matter and then telling the story about this black man i know right and justly arrested
1: And then say, well, what do you think should happen? What should we do? And
0: it happened three times in the last month in my neighborhood. And there's a pattern here.
1: What would you do for John, for Joe, and for Will? What Mm -hmm. would you do? So, moving, so the strategy is moving outside of the level of abstraction into concrete. Yeah, abstraction
0: abstraction leads to ideologizing if I use my favorite word it leads to oh I'm gonna make an object an imaginary object I'm gonna hate this object and I'm gonna hurl all my pain anger and injustice at it and I'm gonna say they're the blame and I'm gonna feel good about it and I'm gonna stigmatize everybody who is that of that concept all right so uh,
1: but tell a real story
0: by the way this happens all the time in the sexuality debates we should do this we should not affirm or we should affirm both sides And I go, what would you do about this person, this friend of mine who went through blah, 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 blah? blah." Would you affirm or would you not affirm? How do we engage for the kingdom of God, for the reconciliation of all things, for the restoration and healing that God wants to do in people's lives?
1: So, step one is stand peacefully with those on the margins. Step two is tell real stories to people who don't understand uh, those positions and react to them violently. So, then what's the third one? Ask good questions. Okay. Don't
0: uh, I have no comment? Don't pontificate. Amen. Ask good questions, and and it wouldn't help if you used a little humor. Use a little humor, Mm -hmm. if you're of that ilk. If you've got, if you if you have no sense of humor, like you, maybe you have to use one of the other tactics. But if you have good humor, make a little joke. Make it poke a little joke. You know Muhammad Ali was great at making humor about how the white man turned everything black into the demons or the devil. He 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 would constantly make jokes and you couldn't as a white man, you couldn't listen to that and just laugh at that and go, Wow, oh my goodness And you suddenly see the horror of how society's been set up to put white privilege at the top and make all things black subservient to it. And that was that was a gift. That was a gift of Muhammad Ali sometimes of course he turned violent but how can you blame um, him but but on the other hand he had an amazing gift of humor. Alright well we're getting
1: close to our time here so what are the last two? Did I say I had two? I thought you had four or five. I don't know. You, okay you so, it out? so let's go Stand with Stand peacefully. Let's tell stories. Ask questions. How about this?
0: Christological pacifism. That's, that's the idea that we make peace in the presence of Christ through his, his rule and his reign. It never seeks to defeat or humiliate the opponent. Always seeks to win a friend. So, for strategy. My goal here is to not defeat or humiliate. It's to win friendship. It's to be a friend. It's to act and talk and be with this person as if, even if I'm not yet, as if I am his or her friend. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think the most effective way to love your enemy is to stop thinking of them as your enemy and to hope and believe that they could become a brother and sister or a friend, as you said. And when that is your hope, then you're going to treat them differently. And then the antagonisms and the desire will go down to dominate other people.
0: No, no, I'll Sounds just close. A lot like Jesus, I think, right? Yeah, I'll just close. So those are four tips. I think if I would have thought a little more uh, intentionally about this before the podcast. Yeah, but you're on
1: sabbatical, so don't strain yourself. You know, I don't want you to put yourself out. But it? I just want to
0: close our podcast by asking two questions. One, do you think this is possible? And what's our hurdles as pastors to lead our churches into these ways? Two, what would happen Forty thousand evangelical churches became these kind of people in our culture today. What do you think? Hallelujah, have? amen. Would change what do you everything. think? That, hallelujah. I I, I,
1: I, think about the politics of how this nation would change. The overnight. thing we need most in America is the recovery of what you and I would call the radical middle, or something like that.
0: I never call it middle.
1: The radical middle.
0: The radical beyond
1: that is neither right nor left. It's something totally different. It's not even on the spectrum. But where people with drastically different views could actually be civil and work together. And I believe that only the church could stake out that place. And that a that place is so true. like that, that's so needed beyond our, the church in all of our politics and governing and decision-making bodies, that... It won't ever materialize until the church demands and witnesses to the fact that it can be done. I saw the David Brooks in the New York Times. He wrote a piece just after um, um, Trump was elected. You know, we call
0: him President Trump out of
1: respect. And he, uh, David Brooks, said, "Oh, we need to recover the middle. You know, the the, the radical moderates and and people just kind of like mocked him in the comments. and And one sense, I uh, I understand his desire for that. On another sense, I totally understand the comments. It's like that's not going to happen. Uh, unless it's someone demands it that's outside of the political system. And I think the church should do that, to well, show that this could be done. Another way to
0: talk about this is that we are caught up in a cycle of antagonism and violence in our culture and the way we do politics. Democracy, the way we, the way we uh, organize campaigns, the way we do voting, caught up in violence, me against you. It's very violent coercive. It is, so that's why I say it's not in the middle of this. It's actually beyond it. In a, in a, a new politic, a politic of fullness, of presence, of nonviolence. Uh, and this is where God will be in control and take us to a new place, a new future, a beyond. So instead of the, the left and the right, the political violence, and the Neburian violence of our day, let, a, let the church become a third, uh, a space, a radical space beyond where a new politic is being birthed through the person and work of Jesus Christ in the world.
1: Amen. Well, here's hoping. Here's hoping it could be done.
0: All right, well, that's it for today's podcast. Do you have a book you want to talk about? I do. You got one? Yeah, you go Uh, first.
1: All right. Uh, I picked up over the holidays, and I've been reading about half of it, a great little book. It's old. It's called The Soul of Black Folk by W.E.B. Dubois. Uh, before there was Taahchi Coates or James Baldwin, there was WEB Du Bois who wrote the Soul of Black Folks and it's kind of a it's a reflection just after the Civil War and moving into the 20th century about the, uh, the rising fortune rising and falling fortunes of African Americans after emancipation, um, their jobs, schools and things and it's, and it's just very powerful reading. He talks about the veil which is the veil of racism that still hangs over and separates blacks from whites, and how that worked um, just after? So yeah, and it's, the great it's thing about amazing. that book
0: um, is um, much, much like Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, it is a portrait of a uh, phenomenology of the subjectivity that black what? folk
1: the phenomenal world. have the
0: sub- to have to experience. It's the internalized "Who am I?" in the visage of the white world and until we understand how those subjectivities are formed we really can't break out of them and I think it's a great I think it's a great exercise to read that book I also think it's a great exercise to read Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, his book uh, which because I don't have it in front of me I can't remember the title but you know the title everybody knows the title it's, it's a bestseller. okay uh, my book is Jesus in the Gospel in Africa by Kwame Biako great african theologian i'm reading it because we're doing this uh, course on missiology uh church contextual uh engagement uh, it's just an advanced course in readings on missiology and a church and that's the course that precedes the Howard was lectures i love it because it's a way to get a firsthand account of how let's say jesus christ is lord how that what that means in africa what that means in it's ghana gone. Versus what that might mean in the United States of America. I know he has
1: a chapter where he talks about the ancestors. How does oh, astrology cost- relate to the ancestral? In
0: Hebrews chapter 11 and yeah, all that yeah, stuff.
1: There's great stuff in there. I highly recommend that and, book. Uh, I and, it. And
0: so all I want to say is uh, at a time when we need to re-examine what we mean by Jesus as Lord and the political, socio-economic implications of that in, in the post-election uh, era, this is a good book to read to reflect on that anew.
1: That's right. Get out of the Western milieu. Fantastic. All right, well, that's it for today. Uh, hopefully, Dave and I haven't been too antagonistic. Remember, Stanley Harrowas is coming June 8th and 9th. Pre-register on um, at dude, seminary.edu. Dude, slash don't overplug. 5th, 17, oh, I'm don't go.
0: overplug. Don't overplug. They heard it once. It's good enough. Folks, so good to be with you again. Now it's uh, time to sign off. It's Dave Fitch, Fitch. from Theology on Mission podcast Fitch, uh, signing off. From
1: Northern Seminary, our little humble sound studio. Till next time.